I've called this message a word on praise. And we're only going to do one verse by way of launch point, by way of entering into God's word. And it's Psalm 47 verse 6, which says as follows. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. You know, when you stop and think about it, we live in a world that is filled with singing. Whatever culture we're from, whatever class we're from, whatever gender we're from, whatever age group we're from, singing is a part of all of our lives. I mean, the thought of having a no-singing world is a really bad one, don't you think? You're driving along in the car, no singing, no radio, no music. You go into a shop, no music. If you're my parents, they're like, praise God. But for me, I like a bit of music in the background. You go around uh, different shops, different homes, and there's no singing, no Christmas carols. We just gather and we speak them. No lullabies. You just say to your child, go to sleep. Say, I can't, Dad. Oh, dear. There's no singing, no lullabies, no singing allowed for this child. No happy birthday at birthdays. You just stand there and as you blow out the candles on your cake, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear David, happy birthday to you. How meaningful. You know, it's just thank you very much. Imagine a world with no singing whatsoever taking place. Singing is a part of our lives. And accordingly then, when Christians get together, there is more often than not a desire to sing. Whether it be a chorus or a hymn, an anthem or an amen, the desire is often there for us to sing to the Lord. And the question I want to ask us then today is why? Why do we sing? And every week, you all come out, and we sing praises to the Lord. But why do we do that? Why do we sing when we gather? Why are we commanded in Scripture to sing? Four times in one verse, we're commanded to sing. Why, why can't God just have it that we just gather together and read words and hang out? Why can't he just have that? Why don't we just read together? Why is it specific that he wants us to sing? What is it about singing that God loves so much? Well, that's the question I want us to tackle today from God's Word. So standing very much on the shoulders of my friend Bob Coughlin, who's the music director for Sovereign Grace Churches um, internationally. It's, it's my hope that as we go through this material, that if you're familiar with why we sing, while we praise God, that you would be freshly encouraged. And it's my hope that if you are unfamiliar with why we sing, that you'd be freshly affected that your eyes would be amazed and open to the opportunity that we have when we gather to sing and why, what God is doing in that presence and what he wants of that moment as we sing. And so let's pray and then we'll start to get into this material together. Well, Lord, we do thank you that we have a great God to sing to. There's no doubt that you're worthy of praise. There's no doubt as we consider you in your splendor and in your majesty and in your sovereignty, that our hearts are stirred to want to sing to you and want to praise you. And Lord, I do pray then today for each and every one of us in the room, through your word, would our eyes be opened afresh today? Would our eyes be opened to the goodness of your word, to the clarity of what you're commanding us to do in singing and why you want us to sing? Lord, open our eyes to this. Have your way in us as our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the Bible, just by way of background, in the Bible there are over 500 favorable references to singing. 
and 50 direct commands to sing praises to God. So singing is not just something that's a sovereign grace distinctive or our churches just do because it's a nice thing we do before preaching. There are 500 favorable references to singing in the Bible and 50 direct commands to sing. And the Bible is literally filled with singing. The Psalms, the longest book of the Bible, which we're presently going through as a series, it's not a book of history or a book of prophecy. It's a book of songs. It contains elements of history. It contains elements of prophecy. But primarily, it's a book of songs. They are songs and singing to the Lord. Moses, in Exodus chapter 15, he delivers Israel from Egypt. He comes out from Egypt. He's delivered God's people. God has made a way for his people to be delivered. And the first thing Moses does, gives a speech. No, sings. He wants to sing. There's something in him that he knows that he wants to sing to the Lord. And the first recorded song we have in the scripture is his song in Exodus chapter 15. David with the Levites in 1 Chronicles 9 verse 33. David builds the temple And then he assigns musicians to sing praises to God day and night. Literally 24-7, he wants singing and music to the Lord to go on in the temple to sing praises to the Lord. In the New Testament then, we see Jesus singing with his disciples. I always love that one because people just, I don't like singing. Do you want to be like Jesus? Oh, yes. Great. Start singing. Jesus sings. In Mark chapter 14, verse 26, on his way on the way out to the Mount of Olives, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he gathers his disciples and they sing hymns together. In Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas. They've been whipped, they've been beaten, they've put in prison. I know what I'd be doing in that moment. I'm a, I'm a British guy, so I'd be moaning. That's what I'd be doing. But these guys, they start singing and crying out to God in him and praise, declaring of his majesty and his worthiness. And in the book of Revelation, we see John treating us to some incredible snapshots of the continuous singing that takes place around the throne of God himself. One theologian wonderfully writes, the early church was birthed in song. And so it was. In the early church, everybody sang. You gather and you sing praises to the Lord. Of the first four to five hundred years after Jesus died, nothing much changed. People would gather, and part of the gathering as Christians would be they would be singing. They'd sing praises to the Lord, and that's the way it was for four to five hundred years. And yet around the sixth century, and problems really then began to set in. There was this idea that the church leaders had in the sixth century. They felt that untrained people and lay people, if we let them sing, they might distort the joy that singing really is and the gift that singing really is. And so for the next thousand years, from the sixth century to nearly the seventeenth century, All that happened in churches is professional people sing, and all you get to do, if you're lucky, is amen. Not that riveting. That's what happened in churches for over a thousand years. But then in the 16th century, a guy, God raised up by the man of Martin Luther. Martin Luther is well known for the start of the Reformation. On the 31st of October, 1517, he famously nailed his 95-part thesis on the Wittenberg door. He was standing for truth. He understood that the Bible is is God's word alone and salvation is through grace alone and faith alone, through Christ alone. He he started to stand for reformation and really reforming us to God's word. But one of the things he also did that people don't often know about is he was the catalyst for bringing congregational singing back into the church. And so it was Martin Luther that famously said, let God speak directly to his people through the scriptures and let his people respond 
with grateful songs of praise. He understood that we need people to sing. If we're going to stand near God's word, then people should be a singing people. Christians should be a singing people. And so he desired to ensure and started to build in his church a model that they weren't just saying amen, but people were singing songs of praise and hymns of praise to God in the context of congregations. And since then, in God's kindness, congregational singing around the globe has been classed as something important and vital and something that churches therefore need to do in line with God's scripture. But still, why? Why does God want us to sing? What is it about singing that God wants us to understand and grasp and make sure we're building into our lives for his glory? Well, to understand that, we need to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Having begun in Psalm 47, I want us to now head over to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't know where that is, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. I never forget that. So Colossians chapter 3, and let's read from verse 12 through to 17, because there's three things in here that help us understand why we sing. Colossians chapter 3, written by Paul. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You know, right away we see from the context of of that scripture that when we're in Christ, we're a new people. When we're in Christ, we're now chosen and holy and dearly loved by the Lord. He's talking there about the transformation that takes place when somebody becomes a Christian. And what you discover very quickly as you examine that text is it's within that context now as a transformed life, as a Christian, that God has a new and very real purpose for singing in our lives. There's three of them. Here's the first that he talks about. Number one, we sing... We sing because it enables the Word of God to dwell in us richly. The first reason why we gather at Sovereign Grace Church to sing is because it enables the Word of God to dwell in us richly. Look again at verse 16. Paul says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And it's really easy to miss the point, but Paul is very deliberately putting together Christ dwelling in us richly and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As we read that, we could just pretending to read it like a list, but it's not written like that. And then the way it's translated, it's sometimes unhelpful as we translate different things into English sometimes. There's a strong link between allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly 
and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think what Paul is trying to help us see and trying to help congregations see is one of the main reasons why we sing is because it's when we sing and through God's incredible kindness and design that singing enables the word of God to dwell in us richly. As we sing to the Lord, the actual singing allows the word of God to dwell in us richly. He calls it there the word of Christ, which in a narrow sense is the gospel. But in a broad sense, which is what he's referring to here, it's the word of God. What he's saying is as you sing, as long as you're singing words of truth, which is why we take so long at Sovereign Grace to pick good songs, but as long as we're singing words of truth, words of truth which are in this Bible, well, as we sing, these words of truth will be built into our hearts. They will actually be hidden in our hearts. They will allow the word of God to dwell in us richly in our hearts. And when you think about it, singing does that by God's design, and it does it in a, in a, in a number of ways. I mean, singing helps us to remember the word of God, doesn't it? You ever thought about that? Songs enable words to stick in our head. See, I sometimes read books. I read, I read a lot of books. That's what I do for a living. It's one of the things we do. We read a lot. But sometimes I read a book and it's the most depressing moment as you turn the last page of the book and you realize, I can't remember any of it already. And it's so, so sad. Sometimes I get halfway through a chapter and I realize, I have no idea what I've just read. And I have to go all the way back and it takes me ages. Reading, and often reading things, it's so important we do it as a discipline so that we can pursue the Lord and get to know the Lord. But it's definitely hard to remember things through just reading or just spoken words or just through messages. But when you learn things through a song, you tend to remember it for the rest of your life, whether you like it or not. It's just the way we're designed. So sometimes I hear a word and my mind goes to a song and I can't get that song out of my head for like a week. Do you ever have that? It's just a nightmare because things are stored in your head through song. It's the way it is in the United States. There's a game called Encore. And what the way it works is you just say a word, your team leader says a word, and then as you say the word, your team try to think of as many songs that have that word in it. We'll test it out. So I'm going to give you a word. If you can think of a song that has that word in it, shout out. Summer. Summer love it. Summer of 69. What was that? <laughs> mate, mate, we don't want verses and choruses. We want... <laughs> Summer holiday, great. See, so oh, straight away we're doing it. Let's try another one. Moon. Moon river. Fly me to the... Yes, good. Any others? Moon dance. See, this is, this is zealous. This is, this is enthusiasm coming from you guys. And one more. Rain. Yeah. Purple rain. Classic. Rainy down. Yes. Very good. See, so you've got all these songs. Now, sadly, none of you mentioned any Christian songs, um, but that's fine. But there's all these songs that, you know, clearly have got stuck in your head from the radio over the years. And from, did you ever do that as well? It, it, certainly we did it in the UK where you, you, you get in the top 40 and you record it off the radio and you press pause. Between the, anyway, that doesn't matter. But, but anyway, we, we, we learn a lot of songs through our years and they stick in our head. And all we do is say words and then you go, oh, I can think of loads of songs with that word in it. But if I said, okay, when was the last time I mentioned that in a message, or when did you read it in a book? People go, oh, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard it. it. It's because it's very hard to remember those things. Songs make things stick in our heads. God designed it that way. So that's the way it plays out in the Bible. That's the way it plays out in history. 
And so in Deuteronomy chapter 31, we see Moses and the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. And God deliberately commands Moses to teach his people a song. See, God is aware that his people are going to reject him and break his covenant prior to going into the promised land. And so Moses tells, God tells Moses to teach his people a song about the disasters that are going to come on them, about the difficulties that are going to come on them. And he wants to teach them this song because the song itself will testify against them and it will not be forgotten by their descendants. Why doesn't God just say, hey, listen, here's a chapter of something. Just teach them. Teach them verbatim. Why song? It's because he knows songs won't be forgotten. You teach your family a song, they'll remember it for the rest of their lives. So he gives Moses a song to teach to God's people and does it very deliberately. One of Luther's contemporaries back in the 16th century complained that Luther was literally having, him, having his people sing themselves into his doctrines, at which point Luther said, said, yes, thank you very much. That's exactly what he was trying to do. He knew full well, I'm trying to get people to sing in part so that the word of God will dwell in them richly, so that truths will be built into their hearts. I don't just want to teach them. So we often think of the Reformation as just mighty men of God preaching and teaching and preaching and teaching, and they were. But they were also singing about the same stuff because they knew this is going to be a way that we can allow the word of God to dwell in, us, dwell in people richly. How many of you, for example, can quote any one of John Wesley's sermons? Probably none of us. Probably none of us could even think of any John Wesley sermon. But if you think of Charles Wesley, his brother, how many of us could maybe quote, or at least speak some of it, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Oh for a Thousand Tongues? They were written by John's brother, Charles. Here's what we find out through Charles. Charles was writing songs into what his brother was preaching. So if you want to know what John was preaching about, he's preaching about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And he was preaching about Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. So we would actually be able to work out what his brother was preaching through the songs of Charles. Songs make things stick in our heads. And so part of the reason why singing helps us to, allows the word of God to dwell in us richly is because singing helps us to remember the word of God. But singing also helps us to meditate on the word of God. You thought about that? To actually meditate, to actually pause and stop and really think about texts and scriptures. Singing enables us to stretch phrases out in a way that we don't when we're speaking. When we sing words, we can do it much slower than we say them, and we can pause in between them and give it time. So if we just gathered on a Sunday, we said, hey, everyone, nice to see you. Okay, well, let's just start. Um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, once was lost, but now found, was blind, but now I see. I'm not sure how engaged we'd be in that. You know, it's true, same words. It, but I don't know how, how engaged we'd be in that. But when we stop and say, hey, everyone, we're going to sing a song. This is starting. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Get the point? It's quite different to what we've just said. But we're slowing it down in a way that we're able to meditate on those truths and take our time in a way that if we just say it, we don't do that. In singing, we also repeat lines or verses or choruses to give them greater emphasis. And we don't normally do that when we're speaking. We don't normally do that when we're speaking. We don't normally do that when we're speaking. You just don't do that. Otherwise, people go, 
you have lost your mind. What is it? But in singing, we, we do it all the time. I remember when I was growing up, there was a, a song called, um, How Beautiful, You Are Beautiful Beyond Description. And in the chorus, it just says, I stand, I stand in awe of you. And when you're singing it, you know, I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, Lord, I stand in awe of you. Lord, I stand. You start to be aware, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm here to slow down from my week, to turn my mobile phone off, to not be discussing endless things with the kids, not thinking about lunch. I'm here to stand in awe of you. Whereas if we just gather and say, okay, repeat after me. I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same effect. God knows that. This isn't a sovereign grace distinctive. This isn't a Christian distinctive. This is the way God designed music. God designed music so that we can repeat lines, so it will affect our emotions. And what we want to do is affect emotions so that we can point to Jesus Christ. We don't want to affect emotions just so that we can be manipulated. We want to use music so that it can make much of Jesus Christ, so that we can point all our attention and all our gaze on him and slow us down from our lives to gather around what it's all about. So, number one, why do we sing? Well, we sing because it enables the Word of God to dwell in us richly. That's not all. Number two, we sing because it enables us to express our praise to a worthy God. Look again at verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Notice the last bit. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. In Colossians, we're not just told simply to sing. That's not the command. Otherwise, we could sing like this. I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. You know, I don't think God's saying, oh, I love We're commanded to sing, and we're told to sing with thankfulness in our hearts. And the reason for that is that in sung worship, God is not only interested in the words we say, that is sort of a regurgitation of what's in our heads, he's very interested in our hearts. And for some of you, you may have been told that that's not the case. He's just interested in the words. I'm telling you, that is the case. You have been told wrong. God is interested in our hearts. We think about it. God is a person. We have a relationship with God. If I say to my wife, my dear, I love you very, very much. Is that coffee? I, but I do love you very, very much. I just want you to know you're very meaningful to me. And um, yeah, just, just you're the best thing I've ever known in my life. I don't know how much she's going to say, oh, you too, darling. Because it's like my heart isn't engaged. I'm just going through the motions of saying these things. God's the same. God wants our words, but he wants our hearts. He wants our affections. He wants our devotion to come to him. And we see that in the Bible. Singing in the Bible is an emotional expression. It's not just meant to be a cold regurgitation of words. It's meant to be an overflow of our hearts. For all those that in this moment are nervous, how is this biblical? Three verses. Praise the Lord, Psalm 135. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name. Why? For that is pleasant. That's an emotion. 
to sing praises to his name. Why? Because that's, that's pleasant. Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Not just serve the Lord, no, just serving the Lord. He doesn't say, serve the Lord, whatever you feel. No, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. James 5, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? You're happy? Awesome. Let him sing. He's talking about our emotions. What do you feel like? Well, let's respond. Let's allow this to come out. And a scripture assumes that in sung praise, both our heads and our hearts will be involved. It does. All the way through. And when you just stop and think about it, and just engage for a moment, true praise, whatever age you are, whatever personality type you are, whatever culture we're from. You know, I remember when I first came to Australia, and a number of people said to me, oh, this singing thing, you'll never get Australians to sing. They just, we're just not a singing people. I said, all right, that's interesting. And then I went to Hillsong that night, and all 4,000 people were pretty much singing. I thought, I don't think it's a cultural thing. You know? And then you go to the football match, and you think, oh, they're singing here too. Yes, yeah, just clear a problem in church. People sing. Whatever culture we're from, whatever age we're from, whatever gender we're from, whatever personality type we are, when you stop and think about it, true praise of anything always involves our head and our hearts. Always. C.S. Lewis in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, he says it this way, very helpfully. Just think about this. He says, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything else, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of a compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed before that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless, sometimes even if, shyness, the fear of others, is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. Amen to that. It's exactly the way humanity works. It's exactly the way all humanity works. You know, I've said it before, but it's just so true. When you go to a football match, I grew up going to football matches, soccer matches all the time. No one at any point comes on the tannoy and says, hey, uh, just before we get started, um, if your team scores, if there's any way you could cheer, that would be really good. If there's any way, if, you, if your team does something you like, you could sort of cheer them and raise your hands in the air. You know, that'd be really neat. No one says that. But as soon as the game starts, everybody's off their seats. Oh, here we go, here we go. Oh, missed. It's in. Oh, yeah. No one's, saying, no one's asking anybody to do that. We just naturally, in our humanity, do that. Why do we do that? Well, we do it because my team's just scored and that team scoring makes me happy and when I'm happy I want to praise and then you come to church and you go amazing grace sweet the sound saved a wretch like me what time's coffee 
I was. And you think, what's going on? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. It doesn't make any sense to me at all because praise does not work like that. And I don't think God's saying, oh, I love those words. I can see you're bored stiff, but I love those words. God wants our hearts because that's the way he designed us. And he designed singing as a moment to express praise to him that he's worthy of. And if a soccer ball that is made out of plastic and goes through a wooden sort of sea thing into a net, gets everybody to go, yes, this is awesome, it's the best day of my life, then on Sundays we should be ecstatic. Because on Sundays, if I'm, unless I'm mistaken, we're celebrating the fact that I was once dead in my transgressions and sins, but Jesus Christ made me alive. I was once going headlong to hell, cut off from God, but now I'm going to heaven. I was once carrying sin and an object of his wrath, but now I'm forgiven. Did I didn't tell you about that? I'm forgiven of my sin. I've been washed clean of my sin. I've been adopted by the Father. I'm now a part of the family of God. Did I tell you? This is so exciting. Sunday should just be an expression of this is the best day of the week because this is the moment when I got together with, with my family who love Jesus and we sing in praises because he's the only one that matters. That's Sunday mornings. That's singing praises to God. This is what it's all about. And I would submit to you, if we're paying attention carefully to the way humanity works, we all do that. Singing is a moment to express our praises to God. And that's why I'm eager in singing at Sovereign Grace Church that we, we worship not just with our heads, but with our hearts. And it's never an either or. So you can be in moments in the service where really you are just worshiping with your hearts. So I've been in church services where you know everybody's up, they're dancing, they're on their feet, there's hands waving in the air. No one's even said anything yet. And when they do start saying things, you realize that's not even true. That's just hard. That's not going to work. But I've also been in services where it's just head. And you're singing profound truths that if true, you think, shout it from the rooftops because this is unbelievable. But people look bored out of their skulls. It doesn't make sense. You know, given what we believe as a part of a church that's essentially reformed, we should be the happiest people on the planet when we sing. Because this is what Jesus has done for us. And so not everybody is an extrovert. Not everybody is going to go to a football match and go crazy like I do. But very rarely, very rarely, do you see people at a football match when their team's just scored because they're excited about it just go, that was nice. (laughs) Very rarely. So if you're a very reserved person, that's great. I just want to know that the most excited moment of your life is a Sunday morning. Whatever it looks like for you. Because some people are more reserved. Me and Emma are quite different. Emma's slightly more reserved than me. But it's obvious on a Sunday, she's engaging with God. It just, it just can look different. And so we're all different. That's the way God's wired us. But we should be ecstatic. Singing gives us a moment where we can respond in heartfelt praise to the Lord. And listen, if you're just thinking about that and you think, but I just don't feel it, Dave. I just don't feel these things. Well, that's okay. And I felt that moments like that too, where you just think, this is great, but I don't feel anything. Listen, I think sometimes while we don't respond in ecstatic praise to the Lord, I think there's one or two reasons sometimes. One reason is because of the fear of man. We feel it, but as C.S. Lewis is saying, we check it. Because what will my spouse think? We just had an argument on the way in, and it's going to look stupid if I'm not really praising the Lord. What will she think if this is going to work like this? 
Another reason, though, I think, is we don't respond in heartfelt amazement praise to God because we're not amazed. We haven't spent time with the Lord in the way we should, and therefore it's weird to us on a Sunday because I'm meant to be singing how incredible he is, but I don't feel he is that incredible. In fact, I don't really feel anything. And I've experienced that before, and it's horrible. And so if you're finding on a Sunday, I just don't feel these things. Well, to rewind the clock on that, I would say, are you spending time with the Lord then? Are you spending time with him in a way that's cultivating that relationship? Read a book like Romans. Read one of the Gospels and realize this is you. This is your story. This is what he's done for you. God isn't a group of doctrines. He's a person. Get to know him. And as you get to know him, and as you spend time with him, you'll find when you gather, come God's people, this is a highlight. This isn't just a recharge to do the week. No, this is a highlight. To come and say, this is amazing. Look at what I've learned this week. This is who you are, Lord. This is great. So if you don't feel like singing, address your heart. Start to work with your heart. And sometimes, even on a Sunday, sometimes you'll come and you've even had a great time with the the Lord in the week, but you still don't feel it. How often have I experienced that it's as you start singing, as you start to sing the words and you think, that is true. Yes, that is true. I love this. Your heart start again engaged again. Never back away from the church when we're not feeling in the zone. When we're not feeling in the zone, we desperately need to be there. You must be there because you need it. And that's the way, yeah, I, yeah there's another message I've already got in my head for four weeks' time. But listen, let me just say this. This is, this is one of the primary ways spiritual attack will come on you. You feel distant from the Lord? Don't go. I'll leave it with you. One of the primary ways Satan will stop you is by pulling you away from the church. You don't feel like you should go. You feel a bit distant. It's not working out. Don't go this week. You'll feel better next week. You get to next week, you don't feel better. Don't go this week. You need a break. You never need a break from Jesus because he's the answer. So we gather and we reflect on Jesus and we think about Jesus and we find our hearts begin to get changed again. We sing because it enables us to sing glories to God, to express our praise to a worthy God. And finally, we sing because it enables us to reflect God's glory back to him. Colossians 3 verse 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's a parallel verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 that says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything. All you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know, singing in the context of Scripture is not just the warm-up act for the preaching. Nor is it in any way just a means to an end of edifying ourselves or edifying others. It's not that at all. Singing is an end in and of itself. It's not just a mere aid to worship. It is worship. It's not just a warm-up for something else. It's an end. It is a something else. It's an end in and of itself. And the reason for that is because in and of singing itself, we're able to reflect God's glory back to him. How do we know that? There's a few reasons. Number one, singing reflects God's glory back to him because God himself sings. We worship a singing God. The Holy Spirit who is alive and well in your heart is a singer. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says, He will quiet you with his love, He will rejoice over you with singing. It's talking about God the Father there. God the Father will rejoice over you with singing. Hebrews 2 verse 12, the writer quotes Psalm 22, 
where the Son of God is described as singing the Father's praise in the midst of the congregation. Jesus is a singer. Jesus sings. In Ephesians 5, we discover and we're told that the Holy Spirit, when he fills us with the Holy Spirit upon salvation, the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to inspire songs in the heart of a believer. That's why we feel those moments. Have you ever had those moments in worship where you just think, this is amazing? That's the Holy Spirit filling you afresh. It's what he does. He gives us a song, and there's moments as we're singing that we encounter him, and you just think, this is true, and this is great. He fills us. So we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all singing or creating singing all the way through Scripture. And Ephesians 5 verse 1, we're commanded to be imitators of God. So for all those people that think, well, Australians just don't sing, that's fine. But now you're a part of the kingdom of God, and Christians sing. God sings. We just have to change. And we have to cry out to God, help me, if I don't really like singing. That's okay. God's not saying, oh, you know, okay, for you, you can just read. He's saying, no, I want you to sing, because this is the way I've designed it. And if you want to be like me, just sing. And if you find that hard, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He'll help you. He's a singer, you know. We sing. Singing also glorifies God and reflects God's glory back to him because of its creativity. Bob Coughlin says it this way. It says, God is behind everything creative in music. There is nothing that we have done in music or song that God didn't think of first. He made it all. He's the one that made melody and rhythm and harmony and texture and dynamics. He came up with the whole idea of music and song. Music and song were designed by very nature to glorify God as they reflect his creativity. And so as we gather and play and sing, he is glorified as he delights in the creativity that he has made and given. You ever thought about that? You know, one of the reasons why we don't always just have a full band and some weeks we just say, you know, we're just going to have like that crazy box thing and a guitar is because it honors God's creativity. There's different ways. There's different sounds that he's given us. I would love this church as it grows to have different styles of bands at different points because God's a creative God. This is the way he is. This is the way he's done. And so when we're celebrating his creativity, we're not just saying, oh, this is nice. This is entertainment. It's not to do with entertainment at all. It's celebrating the gifts that God's given us so we can reflect on how creative he is. Singing also enables us and glorifies God and reflects his glory back to him because it's a foretaste of the eternal glory to come. And this, I think, this point alone, it can have such an effect on our singing when you stop and consider it. Bob Coughlin says it this way. He says, Revelation gives us a picture of ongoing singing around the throne by the heavenly creatures and the angels and the 24 elders and the thousands upon thousands of the redeemed. When we read about what is going on in heaven, something happens in our hearts that says, I want to do that. Because it describes God's ultimate triumph and the outworking of his redemptive purposes in history even before those events have been fully worked out. We're seeing the celebration that is taking place in heaven around the throne, and we want to enter it. We see it, is, we see it as if it was the last chapter had already been written, and we do that because in all reality, the last chapter has already been written. We know how everything works out, and God gives us song to celebrate in advance. Now, folks, when you stop and think about it, we have so much to sing about, don't we? When you actually get off life's roller coaster and pause and consider all that he's done, you realize I have more than 10,000 reasons to praise. 
And yet what I don't have is time. I don't have all the understanding. I don't have the strength. There's the presence of sin in my heart. The thought right now of worshipping around the throne for a millennium, I find in my sinful self a little boring. An hour sounds great. More than that is there not something else. But there's sin in that. And there's strength in that and time in that. But one day we'll be free from those limitations and what a day that will be. We will finally, for the first time in our lives, be able to actually join in the song that right now we only get a glimpse of. And what will that be like? What will it be like when we finally hear God the Father singing over us? What will his voice be like? Singing over his entire creation as we hear him. What will it be like when we hear Christ laughing and the bridegroom then singing over his bride, the church? What song will we be hearing him sing over you in that moment and over his bride? And what kind of song will you and I be singing back to him? Randy Alcorn in his book, Edge of Eternity, gives us an image of what maybe it'll be like. And I'm just going to close with this. The army began to sing, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million. I added my voice to theirs and sang the unchained praises of the king. Only for a moment did I hear my own voice, amazed to detect the increased intensity of the whole. One voice, even mine, made a measurable difference. But from then on, I was just lost in the choir, hardly hearing my voice and not needing to. As we sang to the gathered throngs of heaven, the sheer power of their voices, our voices, nearly bowled me over. Then suddenly the multitudes before us sang back to us, and our voices were drowned out by theirs. We, who a moment earlier seemed to to be the largest choir ever assembled, now proved to be only the small worship ensemble that led the full choir of untold millions, now lost to themselves. We sang together in full voice, To him who made the galaxies, who became the lamb, who stretched out on the tree, who crossed the chasm, who returned the lion, forever be praised. The song's harmonies reached out and grabbed my body and my soul. I became the music's willing captive. The galaxies sang with us the royal song. It echoed off a trillion planets and reverberated in a quadrillion places in every nook and cranny of the universe. It blotted out all lesser lights and brought a startling clarity to the way things really were. Our voices broke into 32 distinct parts and instinctively I knew which of them I was made to sing. We sing for joy the work of your hands. We stand in awe of you. It felt indescribably wonderful to be lost in something so much greater than myself. There was no audience, I thought for a moment. For audience and orchestra and choir all all blended into one great symphony. One grand assembly of rhapsodic melodies and powerful sustaining harmonies. No, wait. There was an audience. An audience so vast and all-encompassing that for a moment I'd be no more aware of it than the fishes of water. I looked at the great throne and upon it sat the king. The audience of one. The smile of his approval swept through the choir like fire across dry wheat fields. When we completed our song, the one on the throne stood and raised his great arms and clapped his scarred hands together in thunderous applause. 
shaking ground and sky, jarring every corner of the cosmos. His applause went on and on and on, unstopping and unstoppable. And in that moment, I knew with unwavering clarity that the king's approval was all that mattered and ever would. My friends, on that day when we meet him face to face and we join that great choir from people from every tribe and language and nation, the king's approval is all that matters. And I would submit to you prior to that moment, it's only the king's approval that matters now as well. This is all for an audience of one. This is all for him. And so why do we sing? Why does he want us to sing? Well, we sing because it enables the word of God to dwell in us richly. And we sing because it enables us to express our praise to a worthy God. And we sing because it enables us to reflect God's glory back to him. And so would we always be then a singing church? Because that's why we sing. And would his approval, the audience will want, be the only approval that really matters? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it exposits doctrines to us and truths to us that sometimes we didn't even know were there. And Lord, as we've freshly looked today then at what the opportunity is in our singing, Lord, would affect the way we sing. Would we gather early on Sundays, quick to our seats, ready to sing, as we realize the profound opportunity this is? Would we not miss a beat of our singing? Realizing as we sing, even now, it's for the audience of one. And would it be your approval and your approval alone that really matters? Amen.